This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. Now, sex jokes have been around since forever. You may know the old one about the women who decide to withhold from their men until they knock off fighting a war, the Peloponnesian War. The men get in a huff. They walk around in, let's say, an extended state of agony. And finally, they cave in. The war ends. A great celebration ensues. That's the plot of the comedy Lysistrata, a play by Aristophanes from 411 B.C. It's a pretty great political joke, political and sexual at the same time. Now, a few millennia later, comedian Jacqueline Novak works a similar groove, but she's created something entirely original. Her debut on Netflix is a show called Get On Your Knees. It's a comedy special, sure, but not at all a string of setups and punchlines. You can get that anywhere. Novak's performance is a rant. It's blazingly fast, full of illusions and sly jokes and political potshots that go by so quickly that you'll sometimes miss a few of them and want to watch again. It's about sex, power, the dilemmas of women, the vanities of men, not to mention the absurdities of anatomy. Well, it's tender. It's responsive, you know, there springs up under certain conditions. That's why I think it is the soul of an artist, you know? It <laughs> sees something that intrigues it, and it sort of... It fills with inspiration. And it is a filling to me. It is a filling to me much more than it is a... erection. I think erection's a little architectural for what's happening there. I don't think anyone should go in that building. I don't think it's safe. It's not up to code. Like a building, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't topple, it withers, it dies on the vine. It blooms and it withers. Novak is deeply again. aware of the embarrassments that go along with sex and of just being alive, being human. And that really came through when we spoke. The narrative core of her show is an attempt at oral sex, and and yet I wouldn't call it raunchy, not in the usual comedy way. There's barely an F-bomb to be heard. Nevertheless, the work is about sex, and there's some slang that isn't bleeped on our podcast, just so you know. For an hour plus, there's more material crammed into this space yeah. Yeah. than I would think any other comedian's two hours. 
or three yeah. hours. And it has to be something that you wrote and wrote and yeah. worked and worked and rewrote yeah. and rewrote. What's the precedent for this? I can't think of an exact mm. or even remotely exact precedent for you. Who are your heroes in yeah. this or who are you looking toward or are you just dangling out there on your own? Well, um, I always wanted to be like Chris Rock. <laughs> mm. uh, I wanted to stock, you know, stock the stage and kind of uh, to have a kind of like rabid enthusiasm <laughs> about things that I desire to desperately communicate with other people. Like, you know, how did you begin to conceive it and construct yeah. it? Yeah, it comes out of um, me trying to take a huge swing, like funny girl going in, like Mr. Zigfield, here I am, you know, like, <laughs> and then, you know, could I so, sort of do this thing, this is sort of blowjob show, but then it's this other thing or, or this other thing, but can I still convince him I'm doing stand-up? You know, like, I'm very consumed with, I guess, being understood, like just like in a core sort of <laughs> wound way or something like that. Were you and concerned so then, that the yeah. what you were doing before was too limited or derivative or anything like that and and this is the real you and I'm going to I'm going to try to hit it over the wall. I mean the late night set for you know for example you're this guest so to me it feels like okay I got to go out and I'm going to sing a little tune you know like <laughs> I'm going to sing a little tune in the tradition of stand up comedy and there's something satisfying and kind of fun about um doing it on it it's exactly its own terms versus almost I don't know going out there and sort of like sort of being a star in five minutes in this ragged sort of way that it's like something in me that wants to fulfill the assignment. And, um, <laughs> you know. Was there a moment where you thought of a line, an idea, a word, anything that you go, ah, that's, that's, that's what this is going to be about. And, right. and that's why it's going to be both funny and right. original. So in college, um, I wrote an essay and the essay was very much elements of this narrative of kind of going from remembering this first time that I heard about the blowjob and then kind of my evolving thoughts about it through the years. Um, that in combination with sort of stand-up and things I've been working on in the stand-up context um, in a very simplistic way, like, okay, I've stumbled on doing these jokes about, you know, the penis, which, like, I I'd still, I don't even like saying it. I'm like, I, I can't even believe that, like, I've ended up there. You know, like, that is not the plan. <laughs> like, when other, when other people make a joke about the penis or something, I'm like, I'm like, Ugh. like, I like, <laughs> like, I don't mean to be talking about these things. Well, how many times did you perform it before the Netflix taping? You know, I wish I knew this, this number, like, because it's like, I remember getting to 100 shows back at, like, in the, during the first run, but then I toured it, and that was probably, like, another 50 shows, and then, um... And then I did another run, so that was probably another 100 shows. Like, so up to 300. I weirdly don't know. And this is, I mean, I guess someone could do the, the math. Like, I'm like, 1,000? I'm like, <laughs> or is it like 260? Like, I, <laughs> like no clue. <laughs> I, I noticed that you wear a uniform for this show that's yes. not necessarily your usual uniform. You wear yeah. jeans, a kind of baggy gray T-shirt, and, and, yeah. and sneakers. And in other performances, you've worn... You know, you've kind of dressed up more. Mm -hmm. um, what what was behind that decision? Yeah, um, it was 
the attempt to completely sort of neutralize and like you can never neutralize the body or mm-hmm. or you know the fetal form or anything it just made sense to wear the the thing that let me be as close to a mind for me which is and that might be something else for some, someone else but for me jeans a t-shirt sneakers i basically forget i basically forget my body which is sort of the goal and you want us to as well I take the stage, you show up, you get to look, and fair enough, fair enough, but it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare for an intellectual like myself. <laughs> now, I like to keep it moving on stage, because I know, I know how you people operate, okay? Okay, I stand still for too long, you see something you like, you take a mental snapshot, who knows what you'll do with it later. I think, I, I much prefer, I prefer to keep things moving, keep them blurry, thank you very much. Try to take a mental snapshot of it, nothing but a gray blur. Simple self-preservation. And what's it like to perform it? I, I, I finished watching it a second time. I thought, this must be physically and mentally both exhilarating but yeah. exhausting. Really yeah. hard to do. There's a sense of, like, sort of filling myself up, gearing up, um, w- winding myself up, and then just, like, and then letting it all unfurl and sort of left with nothing at the end. And... It would sort of be like lightly fasting during the day, you know, but trying not to have nothing, like not to be like completely depleted by the time, but like nervous, you know, just the nervous thing. And then like ritual meal after, which is just the greatest, like such a huge part of the like physical experience of the show. No, no, you need to just do it. Well, you're not a just do a person. Do you even listen to yourself? I don't care. I don't care if you're an overthinker wishes she had a second mouth to narrate her every experience or everyone know that I know that she knows about jingle jangle in this life awareness. No, you need to find the way. Well, Nietzsche said there is no way. There's only my way. <laughs> then find Nietzsche's way. Then find your way. I have to find a way. Let's talk about the speed. Yeah. Um, there's obviously an idea behind the speed, I think you pause for breath twice to grab the the most Spartan glass right. of water off a little teeny shelf in the back of the theater. I opted for the shelf. It's just um, I, nothing. I, I struck the um, I struck the stool and opted for the shelf. And so, what's the thinking about the speed? Because I think for some listeners, it can be too fast. You're missing stuff the way you oh, might yeah. in a complicated piece of music. Well, it worked for me as a live show in that people would come back. Um, and go, or they, after they say, I want to read it or something, you know, right. like, and I, I do think it basically comes out of, you know, some version of, uh, <laughs> insecurity. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, you didn't like this, uh, like you didn't <laughs> like this. Well, don't worry. I'm moving off it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, we got to get through this. Like, cause I have a lot to say, like, you know, like I have this grand theory of everything <laughs> in my mind that I'm building towards. And in order to, in order to get you there, I have to, to take you through this journey with this specific thing, because I need to give you these details. But along the way, wait, I, I need to explain. You probably think I think this about this and I need to explain. I actually think this about this. So there's, there's some kind of compulsion in there. I need to be tilted forward, like into the wind, like running, <laughs> you know, I'm leaning against the wind. It's like, it's like I'm using all of my struggles, like, or like, you know, my like, like focus stuff, like, uh, don't interrupt me. I, I won't, I won't be able to hold the train of thought. I can't look at you. I just have to keep moving or I'll drown, you know, or whatever. And I'm sort of letting those, um, flaws, struggles, whatever, you know, I'm like, allowing them and letting and letting those be perceived as like my style 
you know, it'd almost be like, you know, like, oh, well, your style is uh, neurotic or your style is, uh, uh, and it's like, it's not like, you know, you seek, it's, it, it's like, no, I think I'm preaching. Um, the neurotic is just coming in against my intentions. <laughs> it's not like I wore like a neurotic hat because I thought like, wouldn't it be fun to be a neurotic act or right. something? I don't even say I'm neurotic. I just, you know, just as an example. Jack, um, you, you spend at least 20 minutes talking about the penis and at one point call it, and I love this, a drama queen. <laughs> Yes. Sensitive. The penis is the nag. The penis is the drama queen. I mean, the ultimate drama queen. Just one minute, life of the party. And then the very next, just flopped over and sulking on the fainting couch. That is the inner thigh, just waiting for someone to notice that, frankly, she's upset. It really comes down to my uh, sort of obsession with how things we take for granted, like metaphor and in language, you know, are choices, even if made unconsciously and by the group over time, right? Like, that is just compelling to me. <laughs> um, I sort of have a permanent irritation with the way that it's forgotten that those were sort of choices, you know, that everything's <laughs> literary in some way. Right. And, um, you know, I'm talking about this irritation that I was unable to totally understand at the time but looking back I can go okay I was I was expected to accept this idea of the penis as this just male you know <laughs> this fearsome object I, I wasn't able to quite realize that um like contradiction at the time you know it's like more like later I'm like yeah so I was so uh you know it's like acting like the pe- like I felt like I was act- expected to sort of act like the penis was this one thing while also doing this opposite thing. But then I was also dealing with this serious fear of, you know, the toothy blowjob and this, this like, wait, I, this thing that I'm being expected to do is like putting it at risk massively. Like it is not strong. Like it is, <laughs> it's the one, you know, part on whatever, the boyfriend you know, in my case, that that like I don't want to accidentally elbow. Like it's it's literally like <laughs> the tender area. So it's like it's weird. I'm talking with Jacqueline Novak, and her Netflix special is called "Get on Your Knees." We'll continue in a moment. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do and how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? 
If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What is it about Dana-Farber that makes it such a powerful adversary against cancer? It's hundreds of Dana-Farber researchers and clinicians making new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber discoverers. At Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, nothing is as effective against cancer as a relentless succession of breakthroughs. Go to DanaFarber.org slash everywhere and see how what we do here changes lives everywhere. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So Carrie Batten, who wrote a wonderful profile of you in The New Yorker recently, said this, Shame is the root of most comedy. But Novak Mm. prefers to grapple with shame's more free-spirited and familiar cousin, embarrassment. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, I enjoy identifying kind of embarrassment, right? I kind of, um, or I have like, I've always felt like I have a, a meter for it, like a really sensitive sort of like ear for embarrassment, you know? The way, uh, like a, you know, I'm, uh, what's the word when people have, oh, perfect pitch, you know, like mm-hmm. like, like they can hear it, like the ear. Anyway, I, so I, I've always felt like just this, oh, that's embarrassing, let me tell you why, right? Um, and in the context of the show, when I do this kind of like, you know all the energy I've I've expended to coddle your ego, so to speak. You know, poeticize your flaws. Um, that's on me. I did that, <laughs> right? I did that. I enjoyed it even. A, a lot of comedians, or at least some comedians yeah. lately, have been obsessed with cancel culture. They see it as a burden, uh, or, or at least they're obsessed with the sense that it's harder to tell jokes. Now you hear this with Ricky Gervais. You hear it with Dave Chappelle. And is that an issue for you or are some subjects? No. no. Tell me about that. Yeah, I just think it's like, like we're artists, like like we're fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like to me, like choosing to make art of any kind, right, is sort of this self-appointment, you know? No one's asking you to do it. So it's sort of... um weird for me to to kind of get into a mindset as though like um you're owed any comfort or any it's not like you were forced into being an artist and the conditions are uh you know the conditions aren't what what we were promised like that's never right isn't that sort of that's never the case did you did you think that the critique of dave Chappelle was and is um wrong-headed or or legit when I mean, it comes I to trans jokes and all, and, and yeah. To me, it's it's like it's it's all it's all uh, just try. Like I, I almost am like 
Um, despite being willing almost to talk about my own sort of comedy, like I'm basically like unwilling almost to, like there's something to me sort of commenting outside of comedy sort of about comedy in this way. Like I'm very resistant to it. Why is that? Um, it's just sort of, then I'm no longer the artist. It's like, I guess anything where it's like, it used to be easier to be uh, X, X or Y kind of artist or something like that, whatever it is. Like, it's like, what? Like, what are we talking about here? It's not um, a job anyone's guaranteed. Like, it's acting like the culture is responsible for the artist's experience. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. And Jacqueline, there's a part of the show where you compare the men in your life to toddlers miming mm. the act of placing bumpers around the house that they don't injure themselves. Mm. Male fragility is a big theme. The idea that men need to think of ourselves as potent and impressive and will have a meltdown if anybody suggests otherwise. I completely own that it's a projection. Like, I don't—it's not— it's really important to me and John Early when we were working on the show. John Early was a collaborator of yours in developing mm. it. Um, in that section where I'm saying, I do this and I do this and I bend over backwards to make sure that you don't feel, you know, embarrassment or whatever. I don't actually like that. I don't want to get out, come out here and stand up and, and say, um, you know, male fragility. Like, I'm really not trying to do that. But mm. it hap- it happens sort of. Any headline about the show, like if it said something about male fragility, I'd be like, no, you know, like, or if it were like trolls the penis, I'd be like, no, like, uh, <laughs> it's like any of these statements. And I always feel this way. It's like, if you could say what, if you, if you could say what the thing meant, you wouldn't have had to say the thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's in the could, form. If you could summarize it. Yeah. Then why mean. write a show? Yeah. So the summary is, is sort of this lie um, that maybe gets people to go then kind of experience it and experiencing it, in, hopefully, in all of its tensions. And, oh, that's well said. You yeah, know, yeah. and then, yeah, that yeah. sends them back into the fray where it, where it um, complicates again. So, yeah, that's, that's really it. Jacqueline Novak, thank you so much. Thank you. Jacqueline Novak's comedy special is called Get On Your Knees. It's showing on Netflix. And there's a terrific profile of Novak in the magazine by staff writer Carrie Batten. And you can find it at newyorker.com. I'm David Remnick. Thanks for joining me this hour. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, and Louis Mitchell. With guidance from Emily Botine and assistance from Mike Kutchman, Michael May, David Gable, and Alejandra Deckett. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. 
Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.